Anyone who listens to the show knows that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into running an accommodations business. Whether it's a hotel or short-term rental property, preparing, maintaining, and communicating with guests and employees is the name of the game. That's where Breezeway's best-in-class property care and operations platform comes in. Their easy-to-use tools help you automate, coordinate, and communicate with guests and staff in a seamless way. Plus, Breezeway integrates with over 30 PMS and IoT devices, meaning you can easily harness data to enable your staff, make work more efficient, build better schedules, improve quality assurance, harness guest texting, provide comprehensive owner reporting, and so much more. If you're looking for an operations software platform that will make an immediate impact on your business, visit breezeway.io slash proven principles to learn more. 15 years ago, long before I was a general manager, someone handed me a piece of paper. It was a copy of a page from a book. And it said, leaders lose the right to be selfish. And it's taped to this day next to my computer. I I can see it right now. And on the top, they wrote, this is you. And I have tried to live by that principle. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Christy Loy. She's the general manager of the W Minneapolis. Rarely do introspective conversations about the evolution of senior level positions in hotels get to be had. So when I had the opportunity to talk with Christy about the state of play for a hotel GM, I jumped at it. The job of a hotel GM is demanding, in many cases all consuming and constantly changing. But never before has there been a time where those demands feel like they compete, yet at the same time align, and all while stretching your boundaries to new places. This conversation tries to shed some light on how the role of a hotel GM is evolving while having to balance the priorities of different stakeholders. Christy shares great insight into leadership, providing purpose, and how the hospitality industry is looking to the future. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you take away some new insights as well. So let's get to it. This is episode 81 of the Proven Principles podcast, Christy Loy on the balancing act of today's hotel general manager. Enjoy. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here, Adam. I am really interested to dive in with you about the hotel's mission and what sets you apart in Minneapolis. But before getting too deep into that, we got to give a little context first. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and and where you're at these days? Sure. So uh, I currently am at the helm of the W Minneapolis, the Fauché Tower in downtown Minneapolis. So right in the heart of the city, um, you know, I've, I say I've been in hospitality my whole life, but uh, have been here in Minneapolis since March of 2020. Right at the start of everything. So did you you started your job at the beginning of the pandemic effectively? Yes, I, I would say that's true. I think I had a, a couple weeks, maybe two that were uh, semi-normal. Semi-normal. It was in the news, but like nobody was quite sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. What what was that like? Like take everybody back to that whole like the first couple weeks you're... Is this your first GM posting? It's not. Uh, okay. I was at a wonderful complex of hotels in Boston before coming to this, but okay. definitely came back to the Midwest and, you know, was excited. There was just a great sense of optimism of, of coming here and what the hotel was going to be able to do. And W is such a great brand. You know, I was, everything was looking forward and up. It was, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, just a time of excitement. And yeah. then we started to hear things and there was just some wondering, but I don't think I didn't anticipate. <clears throat> I don't think anybody anticipated how quickly it would all come about, and you yeah. know, really, in a period of a couple of weeks. So, 
anybody who's taken a new job in a new city kind of knows there's some excitement, there's some nerves, a little trepidation. You're getting to know the team. They're getting to know you. They're testing you a bit. You're, you know, you get the people coming up to you and try to like ingratiate you by telling you all the dirt about everybody else. Like there's a lot of funny dynamics that go on, right? Yeah. Uh, especially when you go in as, as GM. Um, from a... I want to explore this a little bit from your perspective as a new leader coming into this hotel. There's a lot that goes into having a successful GM ship. And one of those things, right, is creating trust um, and it, it basically taking the first 90 days effectively to get to know why things are done the way that they are, like all that. We, I mean, we could dive into that, I guess, if you want. Um, but as you're as you're taking the helm of this new property, and having to tell everybody, oh, and you know, by the way, you know, I'm new here, and and none of you are going to be working for an undetermined amount of time. We really don't know how long this is going to be going on because re remember, this is back in March of last year, so a lot more yep. clarity today. Um, from a, a leadership perspective, how do you prepare yourself to have those conversations? How do you, and what is the What's the message and the emotion ultimately that you're trying to convey to the people? Because again, you don't have any history with them. No. Uh, I, I often say when I start in a new hotel, I drink a lot of coffee because it, every person, you know, can I take you to a cup of coffee? Um, sometimes a glass of wine. Like, let's talk about you and who you are and what you're looking for out of your experience in this hotel, I often ask people, what's their superpower? And what's the thing they're very good at that nobody else kind of might know? It might not be readily apparent to me. How does that come to life in the work that you do? And I remember having so many of those conversations. And so there were little tidbits that I was picking up about each person. And then all of a sudden, I realized, you know, maybe at the 10-day mark, this isn't, isn't good. Yeah. And I think maybe from the 10 day mark to the 14 day mark, it went from not good to really, really, really bad. Nice. And I'm a really firm believer that in the absence of information, people make it up. And I'm a statistics girl. I like numbers. I need to see those things on the page in front of me. And I can recall having really for four days in a row, it was, you know, a, a daily meeting with the team and talking about here's what we have on the books today. And, and by the next day, that was cut in half and then cut in half again. And, um, you know, really needing to say to them, this is not something we've seen before. I started in the industry right after 9-11. Hmm. And so it's not that I hadn't been through difficult things and, and you, you have 08. And, but this was different and faster and less predictable and all of the things that, you know, sort of were culminating in that. And I remember my, my singular goal was being, they will feel like they knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. Whether or not I had answers, I didn't, still don't. You know, it's not a perfect science, but I wanted people to know what I knew and that they didn't have a sense that there was some piece of information that if it would just be shared would like, make their life, you know, better. They would know. I wanted them to know everything. And so that's, that's ultimately what we did. And, and yeah, I, I mean, within two weeks I had laid off, um, you know, furloughed basically all the members of, of the team. And at the beginning we said eight weeks and eight mm -hmm. weeks seemed like forever. Yeah. And, uh, then of course we knew later it wasn't, it wasn't forever. There was right. longer. Right. Right. That, 
that is a really interesting perspective and something I, I'm a firm believer in as well. Full transparency, full uh, context to why decisions are made. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is such an, an unnecessary mistake that people in positions of authority make is to hold information back and try to try to craft a message that they think the other person wants to hear when all the other person hears is, is, is that disingenuous way of communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came time to start reopening the hotel again, so you're sort of moving quickly through. So you shut down in April, right? And then you open back up in July. Yeah. As you're moving through this time period here, you're getting you're getting some visibility on when you're going to reopen. Mm-hmm. Did did you keep in touch with people, or did the hotel or company keep in touch with people through that closure? And was that candor upfront? Did that pay off in the end when people mm-hmm. started thinking about coming back? Yeah, great question. Um, so we we did a, attempt to keep up with everybody. Um, I think in the beginning we had this very noble notion that it was going to be full of cocktail hour Zoom calls and. Um, you know, we were just going to sort of be, <laughs> I don't, true. I can't <laughs> and it was for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the dream, right? Is like, you guys are going to get a little break. We're going to be closed. We're going to figure all the things out and then everything will get fixed. And we'll just do Thursday happy hours every week. And, um, that, that definitely, I, I will be candid and say that wasn't the case. You know, it was, it was so much harder to pull people together. And as the time went on, and it became apparent that maybe it wasn't going to be eight weeks that, you know, then the questions were there. And so I, I actually started, I love to write. And I think the written form of communication is helpful because people can evaluate it after they have time to process. It's not simply a conversation where I say something and then they're left wondering, well, what, what exactly did she say? And, and, mm. and what do you mean? And um, so we started a really amazing newsletter for all of our talent and it had a weekly business update and it was full of pictures. And, you know, we also in the hotel, we, the team that, that was still working, we called it the lights on team. It's just our job to keep the lights on, you know, we're not open, but that's what we're going to do. And we jazzed ourselves with cleaning projects. You know, we had flip charts in the lobby. We were writing song lyrics every day. We were, you know, in the beginning, it was like, we're just, this is just going to be amazing. And then it got harder and it got longer and it got more uncertain, not less. And um, even when we were getting ready to open, you know, I was communicating, especially with the leaders that we are going to reopen. But reopening doesn't mean what you think and what I wish it means. It means without any revenue coming in, how can we build? So let's open the doors. Let's be ready for the guests. Let's, let's build some revenue, but it's not, you know, we were 4% occupancy the first week, 5% occupancy the second week, under 10% occupancy for weeks Mm -hmm. after that. And so it didn't mean that I could just bring people back to work. You know, we were sort of doing, what we could with what we had and the team that was there and, you know, the services, I, I'm, I'm not alone in this, were pretty limited at the very mm-hmm. beginning because we needed to do things safely. We needed to do things carefully and we needed to be sure if we made a promise to a guest, we could keep it. Yeah, so it was, right. um, it was an intense period of time of communicating. You know, I remember having one-on-one phone calls with the leaders at the end of that sort of initial eight weeks. And, same principle. I mean, at the end of the day, in the absence of information, I don't want you making it up. So here's what I know. 
we've got nothing on the books. You know, we're at 4% occupancy. This is where we are. But still trying to communicate to the leaders that you are a priority. You are the heart of what we do. You will come back to work. There's just going to be a period of building it back. And I get goosebumps now thinking about it because there was nothing I wanted more than to walk in my hotel and see that team of people, even though I had had such a really short period of time to work with them. Yeah. Because, I mean, you you know, you hear the stories, right? You know how it's affecting them and the uncertainty is creating anxiety for everybody across the board, even yourself mm-hmm. included. And this is something I want to dive into a little bit here where people tend to forget. And it's easy when something happens to you, your boss comes to you and gives you bad news about your situation. Of course, you become very internally focused on that. Mm-hmm. But I think what a lot of people forget is when at at a GM level and senior leaders in a hotel, when they have to get to the point where they've made a decision where those things are going to happen through various inputs. And sometimes they're directed to, right? I mean, you've got a boss, um, getting, getting, uh, in the right frame of mind to be able to do that. But that like, I've had situations myself where you know, and, and I had a similar situation at the beginning of the pandemic, except I eventually ended up getting laid off myself, but having laid off dozens, tens of dozens of people, uh, sitting down in, in my office, like, and you're, you're drained, you feel terrible. Mm-hmm. You can't give people answers because of course there's a bunch of questions. And so my point is, is the, is the toll that this takes on senior leaders is, is a high one. Um, how do you keep, how do you get past that? Because I, I, to shed some light into people who don't know what goes on behind the, the closed doors of a GM's office, how do you how do you manage all that? Uh, I think probably 15 years ago, long before I was a general manager, someone handed me a piece of paper. It was a it was a copy of a of a page from a book, and it said, "Leaders lose the right to be selfish." And it's taped to this day next to my computer. I I can see it right now. And on the top, they wrote, this is you. And I have tried to live by that principle, that it doesn't matter to some degree how hard it is for me. My responsibility is to the person who's in front of me, especially in that situation. But I have learned over time, you know, in the beginning, maybe it was just a white knuckle, like, I'm just going to be who they need me to be. And that's it. And uh, I am I am human also and have emotions and especially coming here and just seeing the spark of that team and then feeling like I was the one who was going to put out the flame. And, you know, who knew? I, I didn't know if I would see them again, if they would choose to come back. Mm-hmm. You know what? We didn't know what the world was bringing. And uh, so for me, I have learned over time, it's protecting my own energy through time alone, mm-hmm. through having, you know, some good um, maybe informal mentors, but people I can call when it's really hard and say, this is my life today. You know, this is what happened in my leadership journey today. And it didn't feel good. And that they don't have any skin in the game. They're not responsible for the people on the other side or me, but they're just there for that support. And I think, you know, sometimes the idea that it's lonely at the top is is a, a well-repeated phrase. And I try to avoid that I don't think loneliness is the answer. I don't think white knuckling it is the answer, but I still believe that at its core leadership is about being a servant and losing that 
selfish edge. And so if someone's going to cry and, and be upset in my office, I, I, I need to make sure that I am prepared emotionally and mentally to take that in and yeah. to help them with, you know, what I can of their emotion and encourage yep. them yep. to manage it. Um, white knuckling it through is something that those of us in hospitality are very familiar with redlining and, you know, just head down and get through it. The, that, that's one of the things that of many things, of a long list of things that needs to change in this industry as we, Mm -hmm. as we move forward. And we, I'd like to kind of get into the staffing, that whole discussion here in a second. trying to even think of what, what is the question here? Maybe, maybe the question is of that laundry list of things that need to change. We've got a well-known staffing issue that's been talked about like ad nauseum for a long time, probably not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the culture within the industry, yeah. from your perspective, has anything been learned through this pandemic internalized? And as we come out on the other side of it, maybe starting to see the seeds of evolution? Well, that's such a deep question. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I know. And you feel free to like stay surface level or, or say pass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to pass because I think it's such an important question. And, you know, can I predict if real change has come? Um, I want to believe it. I know that's true in our hotel. Uh, And it's not a perfect science, right? Because we have multiple stakeholders involved in the decisions that we make in the hotel. And so, you know, there's this piece of of kind of how do we balance the business that's back and the needs of our guests who are so important to us and the needs of our talent, as we call them, a W, that are so important to us. Um, I think the key thing that kept me from just sheerly white knuckling this period of, of sort of pandemic is, okay, what's our purpose? Like we might not have perfect circumstances, but we, I need something bigger. Like we've got to be on mission to do something here in this city. And, and our brand is always focused on what's new and next and kind of how do we do that? But in the context of Minneapolis and our, in, you know, our hotel, when we were closed and then, um, you know, during the killing of of George Floyd and all of the subsequent, you know, circumstances that have existed in our city, we decided early on, I mean, before we were even reopened, that we want to be a force of good and a force of hope. And, you know, the idea that our guests are going to gather again and our people are going to come and how do we do good with what we have in our hands? How do we do something meaningful with what's here? And it's not like you had money, you know, no hotel was, was uh, cash rich, let's call it. And so we tried to think about what do we have in our hands? And that ultimately for us was space. And so we ended up opening up our space to different organizations in the city that were either trying to get some events going or that were nonprofits looking for an opportunity to connect. Um, at W, we love fashion. And so we reached out to Minnesota Fashion Week and ended up hosting a, an event that you know we, we gave our space to. Hmm. And they did a, a fashion event that was fully masked and completely socially distanced, you know, back when we were still under mandate. And yet have people, souls in our building together, laughing and talking like it was worth it. 
a hundred percent. And we learned from that and we expanded that into a program that we ultimately today call Welcome at W, which is an extension to all of the nonprofit community in Minneapolis, an invitation to come and meet in our space for free, Mm -hmm. to utilize our space as a way to put their mission forward again, because really in, in pandemic times, um, you know, fundraising wasn't happening for nonprofit organizations, all of the things that they had previously been able to do, all of a sudden just kind of dried up. And so, you know, real change, that is real change to us. We have changed the way we view our vendors. You know, how do we find better, more diverse, more hyper-local vendors to do work with the hotel, whether that's window washing or, you know, painting an elevator landing or looking at someone, you know, to do printing work for us, Mm -hmm. a a BIPOC printer. I just think it was inevitable here that we needed to see the value in that community connection. And that has been our purpose is Mm -hmm. just sort of how do we connect differently with the community at all levels, who we're buying from, who we're doing business with, um, even in our food and beverage offerings, like we've revamped our banquet menus to include local vendors. And we're not asking for a discount. We're buying their product and we're serving it as part of our experience here because they're local, because they're working in that space and supporting LGBTQ community, you know, businesses, supporting businesses that work with people with disabilities, BIPOC businesses, women-owned business, you know, whatever we can think of. We've got an amazing chocolatier. And so, Do I know if that, I know it will last here. Do I know if it's coming to our industry overall? Um, I think COVID has made us all think differently about many, many things. And I believe the answer is there has to be an evolution. How mm-hmm. quickly or uh, how deeply I think will depend on the leader. And that mm-hmm. that was my challenge to myself is how do I help us to connect both in a lasting way, but also in a, in a meaningful way, deeply with the people that we really could know and, and could meet. And yeah. that's what we've done. I like, I, I like that. The being a part of something larger than yourself is so it's, you're right. It's one of those things that gives you some purpose and some fulfillment. It's so easy to just get stuck on the last PL and the next PL, and you get into that cycle, right? Every, every month. Uh, but at the same time, traditionally, and a lot of properties uh, choosing a whether it's a local charity to support or a local mm-hmm. cause or something in that universe is it can be difficult. And sometimes it's just it's it's whatever the the month is that's mm-hmm. the thing that you're doing. So right. breast cancer month, uh-huh. autism awareness, that kind of stuff, right? Those are like rarely, and I'm glad to hear that you're you're talking about this. Rarely do the efforts go into hyper-local needs mm. and usually more national because a lot of times in brands, it comes from the brand, right? And then it's just filtered down. So you support these national causes, which are great, but like the needs sometimes are within the five blocks around you. How do you decide what those things are going to be? Uh, great question. Um, so for us, it was ultimately... Uh, initially, what is happening in in our backyard? What is, what are the circumstances? And with the murder of George Floyd, you know, we we really felt like our um, black owned partners and community members needed support, and that was a, a key factor. But I'm of the belief you never do do things alone. So I ended up getting connected with um, 
a lady named Nancy Corsaw who runs the Black Business Enterprises here in Minneapolis. And she was really instrumental in educating me about how to connect with different types of vendors and, you know, to do a little bit of the legwork, because frankly, it's pretty easy to just pick up the phone and call the person you've always called. And they've done great work and been great partners. And so, you know, trying to branch out that vendor network was important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, We also made sure that a portion of what Um, we collect for access to our observation deck, which is a great tourist attraction in Minneapolis, really fun, um, that we're giving that back to the local community. And so we partnered with the George Floyd Memorial Foundation for the first donation of that and have gone now to our talent members and said, hey, for the next round, you know, what are organizations that you're doing personal work with? We're not necessarily wanting the person they've heard of or the person they think, but it's who's close to our heart in this hotel hotel because, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's time. Money is one thing. T- time is really the value in the mm-hmm. world today. And so knowing that we could be maybe more personally connected and also making a difference in the lives of the people who are within a five mile radius of our hotel is wow. is sort of the principles of how we're trying to select, you know, what comes next and, and how yeah. that works. And involving employees in that decision is really important because they're able to have input on something that matters to them rather than just being told what should matter to them, right? That's a that's an important distinction. Yeah. And that's really part, we were, we were talking about um, staffing a little bit and just yeah. finding people. So that's been an interesting side effect of some of this work that we've done is when we interview our talent members, people who apply for the job, we explain community connections to them. We talk to them about what it is and we ask them, you know, why is that a good fit for you? And do you know any organizations that you think would be would be a good fit for us? Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see those candidates, their eyes are just like, Oh, that's cool. I actually hmm. had a girl say to me, that's the favorite thing you've said to me in this interview. I wow. told her about the travel benefits. I told her about how fun the industry is. And that was really what connected to her. And even a couple of our partners have referred people to open positions that we have, which is probably a network of employees we would have never had access to because yeah. they worked for you know an electrician who referred somebody to an engineering position. So it, it, it's not a perfect science. I mean, I wish every vendor would send us candidates and we wouldn't have any open positions <laughs> and we could pass them on to, you know, the rest of the people who are also looking for great people to come and, mm-hmm. and uh, launch into this en- industry. But it's been an unexpected side effect. I didn't intend, but I'll, I'll certainly take advantage. Yeah. Well, I mean, between getting candidates referred to you and, and people that are in there interviewing with you, connecting more with the hotel's mission rather than all of the things that you get as an employee here. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty interesting and unexpected recruitment tool from our conversation here. Yeah. Could I get be. like, <laughs> <laughs> pays your back. Yeah. Is there, I have to ask this question uh, because it comes up in conversation. When you're talking about efforts with charitable organizations and community outreach. Is there an ROI on that or does it matter these days? I think there's an ROI on everything. I'd say there's an ROI on every conversation because you never know the connection you're making, who you meet, who they know. Um, You know, I think about 
way back, we, we, we needed to do just a small kind of afternoon break. And we've started uh, purchasing some items from a place here called the cookie cart, which mm-hmm. basically takes um, high school students and gives them sort of first job experience learning to make cookies. And then they package these cookies and they'll decorate them all in any kind of way that you want. And, you know, that connection came to me through a conversation that I had with the CEO of Meet Minneapolis and said, we're looking for a local partner that's really focused around BIPOC youth mm-hmm. and how we get them into the to the work industry. And, you know, we we just we were looking for anybody. We, we weren't looking for cookies specifically, but he was the one who sort of referred that uh, organization to me. And we've made several purchases with them, including mm. one today for a hot chocolate thing in the lobby. So um, I think about ROI like I don't for the cookie card, it's their profit. You know, we're, we're buying their product and, right. and that great for them. But for me, the ability to make that connection and share with our customers that when they do business with us, they're doing great business with Minneapolis. It's not just the hotel. It's through the hotel, you know, to the community. Um, I think that has ROI in in goodwill and, Mm -hmm. and in referrals and in the reality that if you could choose to spend your money anywhere, you know, why not choose to spend it with an organization that, that can pay that forward a little bit and has a connection. Um, the hard dollars ROI is always a harder question. And I'm sure every owner, you know, would love to, to know that, that there is. Um, but sometimes the ROI, especially in our world today is like, what good did you bring? You know, what, what, what did you contribute? And I think that, that that's sort of the perspective that we come from and came from at the beginning was, we don't know what will happen, but we've got to build back this amazing city. And Mm -hmm. so let's get started with what we have. Yeah. I've been in those, those, uh, asset manager meetings, you know, at the, at the end of the month or beginning of the next one. And, and those hard dollar ROI conversations always come up, whether it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a it's a kind of an after action analysis of something you did previously, or if there's a discussion around the table about something that wants to get done, that always comes up. And the hard thing, even back when I was doing it, was always it's such a soft skill people business. It's mm-hmm. really sure I could tell you how much you know the donation is going to cost or what the labor cost is going to be, but you know that where where is the how do you manage not manage. How do you, how do you put a value on goodwill? You, mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering now, cause I'm, a, I am sort of out of the loop when it comes to, you know, being a part of those meetings, how is, is there like when you're in there talking with an asset manager or an owner, is there an understanding that, that things have shifted money's still important because they got to pay the bills, but yeah. Is there more of a realization that there is a soft side to the business that you, yeah. you just have to play in that park to be successful as, if you want to move forward? You know what I think it is? I think it's about the level of trust. I think trust has grown between operators and owners in this period of COVID because we all made hard decisions and ultimately we had to make them together and they were nothing that that either party wanted to do. We wanted open hotels and healthy people and a thriving economy. And like we all had the same goal. It just wasn't there. And so then I think uh, my experience has been that there is 
a deeper level of, of trust. And so when the ROI conversation comes up, you know, maybe the ROI is pride mm. in the organization, which is retention, which down the road is less dollars spent on training and hiring and those types of things. Um, yeah. So I, I do believe that hospitality owners in particular, after all that has happened, understand that the people um, have all of guests, talent, that we all have hearts and mm. that there is a, a part of the world that has to be led from that space. And yeah. so my experience recently is, is yeah. But I yeah. think it has a lot to do with the trust factor that underlies that. I'm not going to make a decision that's going to be, you know, financially detrimental to the owners in what what we're doing to connect. But I might make a decision that, you know, has less ROI than a typical project. And yet that's okay because there's there's more coming from the heart. It's more long tail now rather Absolutely. than just, you know, P&L to P&L. It's a long game. Yeah. Uh, all together right now. And and I think we all realized that after the first eight weeks. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, a, a senior VP or senior person in HR uh, when I was a department head. Yeah. And they asked me, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like, why are you in this industry? What do you, what do you want to do? Where do you see yourself in the next five or 10 years? And of course, a young, ambitious manager, I said, I want to be a general manager. <laughs> And this person said to me, in this day and age, why on earth would anybody want to be a hotel general manager? And this is, this is probably sometime around 2008. Uh, so, you know, if anybody, you know what happened in 2008. Yep. You know, um, and I never really connected the dots on that conversation hmm. until I got close to GM sure. and then got my first GM posting. Yeah. And I, I remembered that conversation, like not long after being like, oh, this is what she was talking about. <laughs> and someone at HR knows, right? This is, so it was, I don't know if it was a warning, but just a like, hmm, you should really think about this and do your research. It was, I loved it. Everything about the job was, was amazing, but you definitely earn your paycheck. Yes, you do. Um, how has the job changed You've been doing it for a while now. How has the job changed pre versus where we are today? Um, mm -hmm. Are there different expectations of you from your ownership group, from the brand of your employees? Mm -hmm. What's the state of play here? Uh, so I think two things stand out to me. Like the first things to come to mind is um, just financial acumen is so important in the world that we're currently living in. And it's not always the sexier, funnest part of the job. But when we talk to owners and they talk to us, you know, at the end of the day, for some owners, it was the difference between making your debt responsibility and not. And that had to be fully understood at every level, up, up down, you know, mm -hmm. left, right. So I feel like that piece has always been important to owners, but is just mission critical right now. And then on the exact opposite end of the spectrum is the importance of mental health mm. for our talent members, for our general managers, for um, our brand leadership teams, you know, for, for really every, every person 
uh, in the organization and who's connected to the hotel. And sometimes if you want to talk about ROI, it's hard to put an ROI on mental health, but Mm -hmm. we know it exists. And so I think uh, the job has changed for me in that I'm coming from both of those lenses all the time. And, you know, it's, it's a balance in how we're staffing and then how we're bringing resources and and then how we're encouraging people to be real and honest and talk through what what are your needs, what are your frustrations, um, you know, what are you think, what are the things where you think we have gaps right now? Like, what can we do to address those, maybe creatively or with better support or better conversation, more transparency? Sometimes with bringing resources, bringing people back to work, or you mm-hmm. know, kind of figuring it out. I mean, I know that I'm not alone in this journey of the general manager right now. You want everybody, you wanted everybody back to work right away, but that wasn't possible. And there had to be some type of ramp. And then sometimes people you thought would come back were not able to or chose not to and mm-hmm. others that you weren't sure. And then and then they were the first ones there. And so I feel like the job of the general manager is more complex now than it's ever been. Um, but also there's more openness and transparency to talk about those things at all levels of the organization, including with ownership groups that mm-hmm. have been a really positive shift. Yeah. I feel for, for the industry and need to continue to be on the agenda because we understand the financial responsibilities and the, the peace and pressures that come with that. Um, but without people, we don't have anything to sell. You know, we're bringing experiences, right. whether it's a clean room or, you know, um, a lovely check-in experience or connection at the bar. I mean, we're bringing those experiences to to our guests through the people. Yeah. And so people have to have a priority in the mental health space. Yeah. And that's always been the tricky part of the industry is that we don't sell anything other than experience. You're selling a memory and you just, you really hope at the end of the day, it's a good one, but nobody's taking a thing with them when they leave mm-hmm. unless, you know, you give them a robe or something, <laughs> but like, you know, you're just taking a memory with you. Right. So that's, that's uh that's a really interesting perspective is, is the, is I like the mental health angle mm-hmm. to that uh, because it is tough dealing with people and it's tough when you've, it, it's hard when you're fully staffed. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, layer on, you know, you're probably the only person working at the desk and you've not only are you checking people in and out and answering the phones and probably making reservations, you're doing bags and all that stuff, but you're mm-hmm. probably doing something else. Maybe you're cleaning the lobby more often than, mm-hmm. than you ever did before. So yeah, it's definitely tricky right now. Um, I imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but no, I- it's, uh, I imagine it's tough from a staffing perspective. And there's something kind of on this note here before we wrap, that's interesting. I, I really want to get your perspective on I have this idea that I'm fascinated with the intersection of vacation rentals and hotels Okay. in that the vacation rental side of the business has modernized and automated a lot of functions that are traditional in hotels. Mm. And if you really boil down what the two businesses do, fundamentally, if you're if you're providing a room and a slightly enhanced experience, not you know, talking at the luxury level, but like a room, there's a room here and there, somebody checks in, it has to be clean, you have to have good service before you arrive, you have to know where you're going. Um, sure, there are there are some, you know, structural differences in mm. how that's applied, but I've I can't shake this feeling that at some point there's going to be some level of automation brought into the hotel industry Hmm. or uh, 
like wherever the like the guest acceptance of a lesser experience and an inability to find people to do the jobs and the third graph point is like cost of automation and the ROI of just you know mm-hmm. replacing people there's not so much a question in there more of like a perspective so mm-hmm. you know you're you're in it you're dealing with the staffing issues you're talking with owners all the time you've got brand behind you dictating a lot of what goes on at the same time. How do you see things playing out when it comes to this staffing thing that that we're dealing with? Do, yeah. do you do you see that like could we go down that direction or is that not a part of the conversation right now? It's definitely not a part of the conversation um, for for me and from my perspective on where we are in our industry, because I think if anything, COVID taught us that maybe more time alone or more separation isn't actually better all of the Mm. time or what we, what we want. Um, But I kind of guess I would have to go to the airline piece, you know, back when airlines started doing self-check-in, it was like, oh, no one's going to do this. (laughs) But there was a certain subset of the traveler that, that wanted that. And so it became about guest and customer choice, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And then there were still people at, you know, at the counter. And as proficiency grew, uh, the travelers checked in more frequently via the kiosk. And, you know, now, I mean, I just recently traveled over the Thanksgiving holiday and we didn't, we don't give a thought about finding the person at the front of the line. That's Mm -hmm. not what we're looking for when we walk into an airport anymore. But when I needed help, when it was a question about how the connection was going to work with the bag, I fully expect that there's going to be an amazing, talented individual there who can answer my question. And right. I think that is the heart and soul of our business is we shouldn't ever be afraid of automation. And I think most of the major brands, including the the amazing Marriott Bonvoy app, puts that front and center. If you want mm-hmm. a mobile check-in, we can do that for you. That's available. But we are still going to have that bright, talented individual waiting for you when you want a suggestion about the hottest place to go to dinner or the best place to take your uh, client you know, out, out for a drink or out mm-hmm. to see something in Minneapolis. So, you know, there, it will help with the, the staffing concerns on the places that we just don't actually have the people and it can be automated in a way that isn't disruptive. But um, I think about the things I love about travel. It's the conversations where someone tells you about their favorite taco joint or, you know, says you, you can't leave this city without going here. And so I, I feel like that's the part that hospitality has maybe different than some of these other sort of transactional, you know, if it was a robot serving us, drinks on an airplane, I don't, I don't think people would be as happy with that. They still want to see that person and be able to ask the question and more so to me in hotels. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I worked for the Aloft brand and we had a robot delivering amenities for a while. I think that's Mm -hmm. okay, but people were still coming down to the lobby for a cocktail and some live music. And so that my perspective is that the things we love most about travel are not driven right now by technology. And I don't know that they ever will be, mm-hmm. but the parts that we, we can automate without impacting experience and connection, we probably will. And maybe should, because it will give us more time with the people who are interested in the connection. 
That's just another part of the balancing act of, of a GM and a brand and a hotel company today. Um, Christy, this was a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you being on the show. If anybody wants to learn more about you or what you're up to or the W Minneapolis, where should they go? Uh, for sure. Connect with us online. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Christy Loy, or uh, on our Instagram is probably the best place to see what's hot in Minneapolis. Love it. Sounds great. Well, look, I wish you all the best of the holidays and next year. And, uh, and thanks for doing what you do. You too, Adam. Great to chat with you. Take care. This was my episode with Christy Loy. You can learn more about her on LinkedIn and the W Minneapolis at Marriott.com. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to the provenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.